Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Tuesday, November 26, 2019. This is Jay Zawoski. This is Talk Back Tuesday. Locked On Blackhawks is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yesterday, I challenged the Locked On Blackhawks listeners to come through with questions, and I am overwhelmed. So, I'm going to spend this entire show answering voicemails and emails, and it's going to be a, probably a little bit longer of a podcast than normal. So real quick, we'll go through the propers. LO underscore Blackhawks on Twitter, LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com, voicemail 708-653-0572, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tonight, the Blackhawks play the Stars. They played the Stars last game. It's the same team they played last game. Okay, there's your preview of the Dallas Stars game. Let's get right to the voicemails. We're going to start things off with Billy. Hey, Jay. Billy from Chicago. First off, love the podcast. Also, what is going on with Alex Dabrinkit? They added Strom to this line, and they were doing so well. And now Alex Dabrinkit can't put the puck in the back of the net. Billy, thanks a lot for the voicemail. I am not overly concerned with Alex Dabrinkit's lack of scoring ability, and here's why. Uh, when you look at the statistics... He is second on the team in shots on goal with 60 behind only Patrick Kane. His shooting percentage, though, is third lowest among the forwards on the Blackhawks at 8.33%. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look back on Alex Dabrinkit's first two seasons in the NHL, his rookie season, his shooting percentage was 15.5. Last season, his shooting percentage was 18.6. Those are pretty high shooting percentages. But 8.3 for a player of Alex Dabrinkit's skill, that's really low. And I think over time, you're going to see that get back to normal a little bit. I think we're looking at a little bit of bad puck luck. Of course, if this continues for five or ten more games, then we've got some problems to discuss. But uh, I'm not overly concerned. The chances are there. That's what's important. And um, a question is going to come up later about his usage on the power play. That's going to be very interesting. So I'll tease that for now. And you'll hear it when it gets there. You'll know what it is when it when it arrives. So thanks for the thanks for the voicemail, Billy. Let's go back to the emails for now. First email comes from Bob. It seems seven defensemen never works. It never worked for Q, and for some reason it still happens. The post game reaction from Cowton wasn't a compelling reason either. Quote, we wanted to play Cuckoo against his old team. And Tave's reaction to being questioned on Y eleven, he said, Ask the coaches. I talked about that on Monday's podcast. Maybe I'm missing something, but why do coaches still do this? The only thing I can think of, and the only time I can really justify it, is if a team is dealing with a lot of injuries. That makes sense. If you think you're better off you know, rolling seven defensemen instead of your what would amount to your 13th or 14th actual forward, maybe that makes some sense. But not in the situation Calton did it. I really, really did not like the way... He did that. I was pretty open about it the day it happened. Jonathan Taze was pretty open about it after the game. And, you know, this whole thing of players vocally questioning their coach in the press, not a great sign. All right, back to the voicemail line we go. Again, 708-653-0572. Let's catch up with our buddy Ian in Wales. Hi, Jay. I heard uh, earlier in the season that uh, Jonathan Taze was either suffering from illness or injury, and that's what, what somewhat contributed to his slow start i was just wondering if you'd heard anything that could corroborate that keep up the great work thanks ian thanks as always for the voicemail uh we just talked about alex to low shooting percentage jonathan taves even lower it's seven percent uh you know that's that's really tough 
you know, he's he's doing a, a decent job of, of, of getting shots on goal. Uh, that is a career low for him, by the way. Last season, he was 14.9. He's 14.0 over his career. The next closest he had to shooting this low of a percentage was in 2017-18 when he had a 9.5 shooting percentage. So 7.0 is very, very low. Again, I would expect that to jump back up. And Taves has been really, really solid over the last, what, maybe 10 games or so. He's really seemed to turn things around. So I, I would expect, just like Alex Dabrinkit, maybe not as much so as Alex Dabrinkit, but I would expect Jonathan Taves to turn things around very, very soon. I'm not I'm not super worried about him. I like the way he's handling things now. Next email comes from Logan Riley. He says, I was also high on Mike Babcock as a coach until a friend who's an avid Dallas Stars fan told me that when Madonna, Mike Madonna, was winding down his career with Detroit. God, remember that? Mike Madonna, the Red Wing. Ugh. Babcock refused to play him in any of the remaining games to get him to his 1500th game played. Maybe that's not such a bad thing, but it comes across as a bit dickish. Chris Chelios was a speaker at the Saskatchewan Huskies lunch here and also confirmed that Babcock didn't want to play Madonna in the Winter Class against the Hawks in 09. Interesting. And these stories, and look, I, I flat out admitted it. I was on the Madhouse podcast saying, hell yes, hell yes, go after Babcock. And that was before he was fired. Since then, I have totally changed my tune. The stories coming out about Mike Babcock have been horrific. Like, what a, I don't know, like, some sort of egomaniac here. The one about Mitch Marner is just absolutely unbelievable. Had a rookie player on the Leafs fill out a form rating who he thinks are the hardest working guys to the lowest working guys in order. Had this rookie put this on paper for Mike Babcock. Babcock then read it to the team, putting this rookie in a terrible spot embarrassing the players on the list. Mitch Marner was among them. Babcock went back and said, oh, yeah, I was trying to do that to kind of motivate Mitch Marner, and it was a mistake. Yeah, you're damn right it was a mistake. That's ridiculous. I, I Look, I will be wrong a lot. I am wrong a lot. I was wrong about the too many men on the ice penalty. I blame Jeremy Cowton for that on Twitter, and some, some players around the league got in touch with me and said, look, that's always on the players. So I will always admit to you when I'm wrong, and I will be wrong a lot. I'm not going to – I don't have such an ego that I can't admit it. Totally wrong on Mike Babcock. I want no part of him being around the Chicago Blackhawks, especially with all these young and important young players the Hawks are trying to develop. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Talk Back Tuesday. 708-653-0572 if you want to leave a voicemail of your own lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com and of course the twitter account lo underscore blackhawks let's go right back to the voicemails this is ryan on talk back tuesday on lockdown blackhawks hey jay ryan from ohio here my question is this with eric gustafson's resurgence in the offense and his contract coming up. Do you see them moving him even if they're in playoff contention? Uh, you've got Adam Boquist sitting in the AHL. You sacrifice nothing offensively. You may even add something with him on the power play over Gustafson. And you certainly don't sacrifice anything defensively by putting Boquist in for Gustafson. So my question is, when do you see them moving Gustafson, if at all, this season? Thanks a lot. Ryan, thank you for the voicemail. This is going to be a recurring theme as the season goes on. And 
they absolutely have to trade Eric Gustafson. I talked about this last week on the podcast. You don't want to find yourself in a Carolina hurricane situation where you kid yourself and try to convince yourself you're a Stanley Cup contender and hold on to your unrestricted free agents only to lose them for nothing when the season ends. This team, whether or not they're in the playoffs, whether or not they miss the playoffs, whatever, they have to trade Eric Gustafson. Now, if they're going to stay within striking distance of a playoff spot, hold on to him as long as you can. I have no problem with that. Drive up his value. You know the points are going to start to get racked up as the year goes on, as the power play starts to turn the corner a little bit. I liked what Cowan was doing with the power play in practice today. If I have time, I'll get to that. But Kirby Doc was on there, and the top unit was very loaded with talent. So maybe the power play will start to improve. But hold on to him as long as you can. I think I I remember if I said this on the Madhouse or the Lockdown Podcast, so I apologize. Spoke to a couple sources around the league. His trade value is a lot higher than we think. And look, you're not going to get back a superstar for him or a first-round pick or anything, but teams get desperate at the deadline, and I think it would behoove the Hawks for several reasons. One, drive up his value, get the most you can for him at the deadline, and two, get use him he's an asset he's since the system has changed he's been a valuable player so use him while you can but they absolutely regardless of circumstance must 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 trade Eric Gustafson before the the deadline unless they want to sign him but if you're Eric Gustafson are you signing early I'm not I'm going and testing the free agent waters and see what I can get on the open market again just like teams go nuts during the trade deadline they also go nuts during free agency and he can make himself a lot of money that the Blackhawks should not be spending for an offensive defenseman when they've got Adam Boquist sitting in the minors, like Ryan mentioned. Next voicemail comes to us from Bill. Hey, Jake. Bill Deerberry down here in South Carolina. wanted to talk about, over the past couple of years, how the Hawks have a tendency to get out of the block really slow. Obviously, uh, last year was painfully slow, but this year seems to be a little bit more pickup. The games that we do lose, we lose in a tight situation. Um, do we need to worry about the latter part of the season if we don't get that amazing stretch? Are we playing guys like Kane too many minutes for the latter part of the season where we have to have a big run to get to the playoffs? Bill, thanks for the voicemail. Uh, here's a dilemma the Blackhawks have, and let me qualify this. Playing Patrick Kane for 28 minutes a night or 29 minutes, whatever it was, against Tampa when they had the uh, 11 forwards and seven defensemen. They can't do that. That's too much. Too, too much Patrick Kane. But you've got to ask yourself the question, if they don't play him 23 minutes a night, 22 minutes a night, can they win most games? And I think the answer is no. They have to ride him a little bit. They have to double shift him a little bit because, like you said, they're playing in close games almost every night. But when they have a game where they're winning 5-2 like against Vancouver or 7-2 against Nashville, that's when to sort of tone it down and bring the minutes down a little bit. You've got a big lead when you, once you get or if you're down big. That's the other thing. If you're down 4-1 in the third period, I know it's tempting to think Patrick Kane's going to get you back in the game, but sometimes you just got to live to fight another day, right? Use Patrick Kane, double shift him late in games in close games. But you cannot wear him out. It's just sort of chicken or egg, though. If they don't 
double shift Patrick Kane early, will they have enough to even be in contention for a playoff spot? That's the big question, and that's a position of Jeremy Countons that I do not envy. That's a very tough uh, line to walk. So uh, good luck with that, Jeremy Cowton. Uh Speaking of that, got an email here from um, Colin in Pittsburgh. He said, you said the next few games against div- divisional opponents, including home and home versus Dallas, who are chasing in the standings, it makes zero sense to possibly tire out Patrick Kane against a non-divisional opponent to give Slater Cuckoo an opportunity against his former team. Is Cowton a not-looking big pitcher? That was my complaint. Is, look, well, and the other complaint that Cuckoo's not that good and hasn't done much to warrant that sort of special treatment, but that's beside the point. It was a non-divisional game. You didn't need Patrick Kane to play 29 minutes that game. And I know it was tempting because it was close, and they were getting back in it late, yada, 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 right? All the excuses you can make for Jeremy Cowton. But, yes, he does have to kind of look big picture. And I know athletes and coaches will say, oh, you know, we got to take it one game at a time. Yeah, that's true. I understand that that's true. But you've also got to protect your assets. And playing playing Patrick Kane, rather, 29 minutes a night is a mistake. Look, it's only happened once, so I'm not going to freak out about it. But if this becomes some sort of a pattern, then it's going to be a problem. So something to keep an eye on. Hopefully, Cowton learned his lesson uh, after that Tampa game because you played him 29 minutes and you still didn't win. So hopefully, lesson learned for Jeremy Cowton. Let's go to the next voicemail. Uh, This one comes from the 937. Make sure when you leave those voicemails, you leave your name so I can identify you. This from the 937 area code. What's up, Jay? You're doing a great job with the podcast. Um, I know you hinted at it last week, but I was wondering if you could, could go into more detail about Kirby Doc and his development and then kind of a little comparison of how he's doing against some of the other rookies that may have been taken before him. Uh, thanks. Uh, go Hawks. Thanks for the question from Dayton, Ohio. Just Google it. Dayton, Ohio, 937 area code. We've got a lot of phone calls from out of Chicago, which is very cool. All right, so I ran the player comparison finder on Hockey Reference, and I'm sure most of you guys know and girls know about Hockey Reference or Football Reference or whatever. It's the best site for looking up stats in any sport. They've got a player comparison finder. So I ran the numbers on the top three picks of this year's draft. Jack Hughes went number one to New Jersey. Capo Caco went number two to the New York Rangers. They were the unquestioned number one and number two picks. Kirby Doc went third to the Blackhawks. We'll start with Hughes. In 22 games, Jack Hughes has four goals and six assists for 10 points. He's a minus seven. He averages .45 points per game. Pretty solid. Capocaco in 19 games, six goals, four assists for 10 points. He's a minus 13. He averages .53 points per game. So a little bit more than Hughes because he's played uh, three fewer games with the same amount of points. Then Kirby Doc, the number three overall pick. Doc has played 17 games for the Blackhawks. He has five goals and five assists for 10 points. He's a plus three, averaging .59 points per game. So he's uh, at a higher scoring rate than Kako or Hughes. Couple things. He also has the highest shooting percentage, which is 22.7, which is tough to maintain. Fair. Jack Hughes only shooting 9.1%, Kako 17.1%. But diving deeper in, time on ice. Jack Hughes has played 353 minutes for the New Jersey Devils this season. Kako has played 290 
For the Rangers, Kirby Doc has only played 197 minutes. So he's played two fewer games in Kako, five fewer games in Hughes, has the same amount of points as both, and has played in over 100 minutes less than, well, almost 100 minutes less than Kako and way fewer minutes than Jack Hughes. So, so far, so good. I don't want to pretend like if the Devils or Rangers called and said, hey, you want to make a trade? I would say no, (laughs) because I think both those guys are going to be absolute superstars, but really, really solid and encouraging start for Kirby Doc. Let's go back to the emails. This one from Travis Barker, the drummer from Blink-182. He said, "Uh, Pat Foley brought this up. I think you have to do it since one of them says they hate shootouts and have the numbers to prove they suck at it. And the other guy is excellent at shootouts. You have to do it. You have to play Corey Crawford when shootouts come. I talked about this a lot on yesterday's Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. And I can't find anyone who has coached, anyone who has watched the game for a uh, extended amount of time in a professional capacity who says that that's a good idea. And uh, my buddy Jack Waterman sent me a voicemail, but I had a couple technical issues with it. And he basically said, why not, if you think a shootout's coming, start warming the goalie up in the locker room. Have someone go back there and take some shots at him. Have him work up a sweat. I don't know. (sighs) Maybe. I guess that's better than coming in absolutely cold. I just don't see it happening. I think you just sort of have to ride it out. and, And look, shootouts occur so rarely in the NHL. And yeah, Robin Leonard's not great at it, but you know, he's going to be working on it. You know, he's going to do everything he can to get better at it. And actually it's, it's interesting. I had a buddy reach out to a goalie coach and sort of ask like, what's the deal with Leonard? Like, why is he such a good goalie? But you know, he can't, he can't do anything in the shootout. Here's what the goalie coach said. This is not an NHL goalie coach, by the way, but a local goalie coach. He said, Leonard is a big tracking goalie who is great at positioning. He's amazing at reading the play, but he is not the best skilled guy. He doesn't need to be, but one-on-one shootout you need to be. He lacks the skills to handle that type of stick handling with no pressure from a defensive player. So that's interesting. That's sort of telling you, and I think that checks out with what we've been seeing. What makes Robin Leonard so great is not spectacular glove saves. It's not the post-to-post saves like Dominic Hasek used to make. Back in the day, it's the great positioning. The pucks hits him. He knows where to be. He knows how to defend. So that will be an adjustment for him in shootouts. It's Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Jay Zawoski with you here. It is Talk Back Tuesday, and we have a ton of emails and voicemails to get to. So let's get back to the email portion. Got a couple along the lines of the kubalik and cuckoo thing i hope i've answered those questions enough i don't want to keep being redundant with it but next email here comes from sean and sean i really appreciate the work you did on this he sent the email then he went and found a bunch of sample photos on uh the internet to illustrate what he was talking about i knew what he was talking about but it was a very helpful graphic he says not that the coaching staff would get this thought about the power play but we could consider moving to Brinkett or another right-hand shooter up like Ovechkin and Panarin now when he says up he means close on the power play closer to the blue line farther away from the goal line okay so when you look at the cross ice pass the Hawks are trying to make Alex to is pretty close to the net 
Remember, Panarin and especially Ovechkin line up. Ovechkin kind of lines up somewhere between the high end of the circle and the faceoff dots, where Panarin used to be way out. He was really deep with those one-timers. Um, Dabrinkit, on the other hand, is much lower, much closer to the net. I think it's a good idea to maybe move Alex Dabrinkit back, work that one-timer. The other thing is Dominic Kubelik on the other side has an excellent slap shot too, and that's something they could look to exploit with him on the ice a little bit. So good question, Sean. Thank you so much for the submission. Thank you so much for the uh, graphical assistance uh, just to illustrate your point. Really, really good stuff, and I love when the audience comes through with research of their own. Next voicemail here comes from Jeff. Hey, this is Jeff from East Lansing, Michigan. I'm wondering if Robin Leonard would be a finalist or even win the Vezina Trophy with this play this year, even if the Blackhawks don't make it to the playoffs, or will it be a similar situation to Kane last year where he didn't even get, he wasn't even a finalist due to the team not making a playoffs when he probably should have been. Thanks, Jay. Love the show. Thanks for the email, Jeff. Yes, it is sort of an unwritten rule that the Vezina winner makes the playoffs. The only exception that I can find uh, in recent history, is 2012 and 13, Sergei Bobrovsky won the Vezina despite his team not making the playoffs, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Since then, 2013-14, it was Rask, yes. Carey Price, yes. Braden Holtby, yes. Bobrovsky again, yes. Pekka Rene and Andre Veselovsky, they have all made the playoffs since then. So from what I can tell, uh, Bobrovsky is the only exception. But if Leonard keeps playing the way he's playing, which is unlikely, I love Robin Leonard. He's been fantastic, but it's really hard to imagine he maintains this sort of pace throughout the season, especially considering the onslaught he'll be facing. That said, in the unlikely event that he does continue to play as well as he's been playing, then yeah, he'll probably deserve to win it. Next email comes from Vaughn. Vaughn says, I appreciate you delving a little bit into advanced stats and not shying away from using them in your analysis. So I was hoping you could explain how expected goals are calculated. I'm ashamed to admit that it took me until very recently to truly understand Corsi and Fenwick. So I would love if we can get a more in-depth explanation of what some of the other metrics mean and exactly how they're calculated. Thank you for the email, Vaughn. Uh, expected goals is tough. And it's very hard for me to sort of summarize. Here's the definition from The Athletic. The models behind expected goals weight each unblocked shot for a number of factors. Shot location is the main one, but the models also recognize events like rebounds and rush chances as well. It then assigns a value to each shot based on the likelihood of the shot resulting in a goal. I don't know if that sums it up for you. I don't know if that helps. Um, it is not super easy to explain. It's, it's a tough one, and it's something that I've struggled for, and I'm trying to include it better, but truth be told, I want to understand it more before I start using it a lot on the podcast. Unless there's a way it really stands out, unless the stat's like jumping off the sheet, I'm going to shy away from it because I don't truly understand it, and I'm trying to get a better grasp of it. As for Corsi and Fenwick, it's very simple. The problem is that because it's hockey, it has to have a weird name. It can't just be like Shot Attempts 4. That's what it is. Shot attempts. Corsi is shots on goal, missed shots, and block shots. Fenwick is the same exact stat, except it does not count block shots. That's the only difference between Corsi and Fenwick. Like I do in every episode, 
I link to Natural Stat Trick in the description of the podcast. Go on there, experiment with some of their um, tools, some of their uh, stat finders. For this episode, I will also include a link to this Hockey Advanced Stats 101 that The Athletic did. I know not everybody's a, a subscriber, but you should be because it's an incredible resource for sports fans. Uh, but if you are a subscriber or no one, they can get you a login and you can check out this piece. It's really, really good stuff. All right, let's go back to the voicemails. Next up is Alex. Hi, Jay. Uh, this is Alex from Chicago. Uh, my question for you is um, uh, related to Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford. Jeremy Carlson seems to be alternating the two between starts between games, uh, so just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, they're both playing great right now, but I think Leonard has earned a chance to get more opportunities uh, than Crawford right now, but just wanted to get your take on that. Thank you. Alex, thanks for the voicemail. Uh, so, yeah, looking at the starts, Robin Leonard's gotten 13. Corey Crawford's gotten 11. Um, I have noticed a trend, and I, I think it's pretty obvious, that Cowden's using Leonard in the games he deems more important, uh, which makes some sense. Leonard's been the better goalie. He should get the bulk of the starts. There's also been a couple back-to-backs. There's been, what, one, two, three back-to-backs this month already. So that's part of why Corey Crawford's getting used more than probably he would be in a normal month. Now, tomorrow or tonight they play the Dallas Stars. Then Friday and Saturday, they play the Avalanche, two games in a row, home and home. Crawford will play one of those. I'd be surprised if Robin Leonard does not get the start tonight against the Dallas Stars. By the way, 7 p.m. start on that game, not 7.30, 7 p.m. start uh, tonight against the Dallas Stars, so make a note of that. All right, final voicemail of the show. I cannot believe we got through all of this. It's really unbelievable. This one comes from Dale. Hi, Jay. Uh, this is Dale in McKinley Park neighborhood. I voted today on Twitter. My initial vote was Patrick Kane. And after looking at that, seeing Leonard's best save percentage in the league after the onslaught he's been facing, I've got to change my vote to Robert Leonard. What is Dale talking about, you might be asking. I ran a poll uh, Monday night on Twitter about uh, who is the Blackhawks MVP. And I let it run for 24 hours, and I got... Actually, the 24 hours are not up yet. But I'm going to call them final results because I'm not waiting 49 minutes to read you the results of this. Robin Leonard got 72.2% of the votes. Patrick Kane, 27.8% of the votes. Patrick Kane is having another amazing season, and it's not even close. And look, take another vote away from Kane there and give it to Leonard from Dale, uh, that just shows you how well and how incredibly Patrick Kane has been playing for the Chicago Blackhawks, or Robin and Robin Leonard, but how great Robin Leonard's been playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. It's 72% plus of Locked On podcast listeners think that Robin Leonard is the MVP, and look, it's hard to deny that. He has absolutely been phenomenal and is a huge part of a lot of our Talk Back Tuesday segments, but thank you all so much for contributing Really, uh, I was a little bit worried heading into today's show, and then as the day went on, on Monday, tons of voicemails rolled in, tons of emails rolled in. I think I got everybody in. There were a few, like I said earlier, that were a bit repetitive, so I didn't want to get into all of those. There was also a really good question posed by a listener about Jeremy Cotton's old system that I want to put on the podcast, but I want to do some research first. I want to make sure I have the correct answer before I answer it. So look for that in a future episode 
But Hawks play Dallas tonight. Two points would be really, really great. We'll talk to you about it on Wednesday morning with a full recap. Remember, no episode on Thanksgiving Day, but we'll be back on Friday with an avalanche preview and a whole bunch of other news and notes. So thank you for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. This is Jay Zawoski signing off. We'll talk to you on Wednesday, hopefully talking about a Blackhawks win. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in Talk Back Tuesday. Remember, we are always part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much for listening.